the tactics that are being used in America right now to control people were the same tactics the North Korean regime used to control us and enslaved us eventually. Today, I sit down with North Korean defector Yeonmi Park, author of the new book, While Time Remains. We don't have inequality, but we are all dying from starvation. Like the enemy is poverty, not inequality. We discuss the pseudo-religion of victimhood, the manipulation of language, and the fight to preserve the ideals of America. This is our moment of cultural revolution in America. I don't know what it is that Americans are so guilty about. They do not denounce evil, and it's very dangerous. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kellek. Before we start, I'd like to take a moment to thank the sponsor of our podcast, American Hartford Gold. As you all know, inflation is getting worse. The Fed raised rates for the fifth time this year, and Fed Chairman Jerome Powell is telling Americans to brace themselves for potentially more pain ahead. But there is one way to hedge against inflation. American Hartford Gold makes it simple and easy to diversify your savings and retirement accounts with physical gold and silver. With one short phone call, they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or inside your IRA or 401k. American Hartford Gold is one of the highest rated firms in the country with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied clients. If you call them right now, they'll give you up to $2,500 of free silver and a free safe on qualifying orders. Call 855-862-3377, that's 855-862-3377, or text AMERICAN to 65532. Again, that's 855-862-3377, or text AMERICAN to 65532. Yanmi Park, such a pleasure to have you back on American Thought Leaders. Thank you, I'm so happy to be back here. <laughs> well, Yanmi, Congratulations on your new book, uh, While Time Remains. I, uh, I really enjoyed reading through it. And, you know, the obvious question is, what is the time running out for here, right? What is it, what is it that you're getting at? Yeah, so my subtitle of the book is North Korean Defectors Search for Amer Freedom in America. I actually did not expect for me to come to America and had to look for freedom. <laughs> you know, you would expect America to be this land, the land of free and home of the brave. When I came to America, unfortunately, I went to Columbia University. And there, I was reminded by a lot of things that I saw in North Korea, what was happening in America. And Americans were not able to recognize those threats the way I could, could because they never lived in truly oppressive country. And for them, it was just maybe more just new phenomena. I don't think they understood what that really means. So I think the reason I wrote this book is try to wake up America to see the threats is happening in the country and the tactics that are being used in America right now to control people were the same tactics the North Korean regime used to control us and enslaved us eventually. I remember in our last interview, you, I, I asked you, you know, do you think it's possible for America to become like a North Korea? North, North Korea is un, unimaginable, mm -hmm. right? It's unimaginable to uh, most people here. Mm -hmm. You still think that's possible? It's very possible when I, living through the pandemic, that's when I really understood that America is not immune to oppression. This country can totally possibly become like China or North Korea if the individuals stop defending their liberty. Let me dig into a few things here that I that mm -hmm. you really got me thinking. You know, one you you cite kind of lightly without saying it, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. This idea that the line uh, between good and evil cuts through every human heart. And you reminded me of. Um, uh, back in 1978, you're probably familiar with this, he gave the Harvard commencement speech, right? Mm -hmm. Before that, you know, he had, of course, exposed the Soviet Union for what it was. He had won the Nobel Prize eight years earlier. And he was, a, he was this kind of hero out of a very despotic regime, and everyone understood this. But after this Harvard address, he wasn't so popular anymore. Right. You remember this, yeah. right? Yeah. So I thought to myself, wait a sec, Yanmi pulled a Solzhenitsyn. <laughs> what do yeah. you think? I think that's what he did, right? I mean, his amazing work of exposing the true horror of the communism. But I think it's like that what he says, and every 
human being, there's no perfect angel or evil. There is always, humans are capable of both. We were the ones that created Nazi Germany and put up human beings in the gas chambers. And we were the ones who were dying in the gas chamber. I think what makes us to do good is almost what kind of system that we are in. I think that's what I understand now. It's not that some people is born with a dark heart gonna kill other people. That what mm. Chinese regime did during the Mao to killing their own citizens, starving them. And I think that's a, for us to remember that it's not some magically everybody gonna do good or magically everybody gonna do all bad. It's almost the system that we put ourselves into and that system bring out which side, you know? It can bring out the good side and it can bring out the worst part. And us recognizing that, what it means to be human, I think that's very important. Specifically with respect to this Harvard address, mm -hmm. what Sol Tzahitsin did was he called out the American elites, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And the, the people running the show, he, everyone was expecting he would tell them how great, how great they are mm -hmm. and thank them for the people there for helping him and think, all this kind of stuff, right? He didn't do that. He said, yes, you, you know, you, of course you have some great things here, but I don't think I would want, wish your system on my home country, mm -hmm. right? And people were shocked and stunned and wondered, you know, how could he? And, and I think that in your case, you could have very easily uh, been very popular going to the Met Gala every year. You know, you talk about that in this book, yeah. how, what a surreal that ex experience that was. Mm -hmm but it's almost like because you chose to be a truth teller that caused you some trouble. <laughs> Many, I mean, actually, you're saying that, like, I could be the darling of this movement of victimhood. You know, I'm a woman, I'm a, I was raped, I was sold, and I can complain about all day how horrible men are. Because all the men that I met since I was 13 was all the rapists. I can totally make the case for the world that men are truly horrible. And actually, when I was trying to write my second book, uh, there was a lot of people trying to force me to write that book. How hard it is to be a woman. Or mm. write a book, how horrible America's treatment towards black men. And comparing to American prison system to North Korean concentration system to show how America is so brutally towards black men. And of course, if I wrote that book, of course, I'd be the New, New York Times bestseller, <laughs> at least right now. And and also, when I was trying to read my audiobook, we couldn't find a, a narrator. They would keep uh, bailing out, like they would not want to narrate my book. And eventually, we got a lady and she wanted to use a pseudonym. After we went like 11 people, I think, in, in, before, it was a truly finding a narrator who just want to narrate the book, not writing the book, was a real challenge. And that's when I was thinking, people are afraid. It's a real shocking thing to see how Americans are afraid and not acknowledging they are living in a somewhat oppressive country. Of course, the extent is never going to be North Korea and China. I'm not even saying that. But we are on a path to there if we don't turn mm -hmm. back, right? We're definitely getting closer every day, especially with the education system, especially current cl I mean, climate where that, you know, they say your speech is a violence. And if you say the wrong thing and non-politically correcting, then you, you spread the hate. You've dedicated your life, you say this, my, li my per life's purpose is to fight for human rights, especially for North Koreans, mm -hmm. right? But I think it's broader. And so, you know, I think a number of the people at Columbia, where you went to school and many other places, that, you know, your cohort would say, I'm fighting for human rights. We need to be, be safe and, 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 you know, be able to, to be secure in our thoughts. We don't want to be exposed to, to dangerous things, right? So they, they, I, they might imagine themselves as fighting for human rights, actually. They what do. You, what do you think about that? I think I actually was studying economics for the first two years, and then for the remaining two years, I studied human rights. And I got the human rights degree out of my uh, BA at Columbia. It was really shocking sitting in the classroom. The professors or students would say, that healthcare is a human right. LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus some rights is a human right, right? And universal income is a human right. In a way that what human rights meant for me became a 
I think that lost meaning currently. Mm. I'm so sorry to say that I'm like, when people say I'm a human rights activist, that's not what I meant. The human rights, still what it meant for me is a right to pursue your life in a land where there is no infringement of your speech or your religion or your movement and your thoughts. It wasn't about me demanding the country giving me free education, free healthcare, free housing, free universal income. It wasn't about my entitlement. Mm. But in America, what it became currently the human rights meant is that my feelings rise over facts. That if I feel like a gender fluid, some unicorn or a cat, or you know anything in, a, in a, any kind of spectrum, then I have a right to be respected for that I don't want even what to say, like it's a, it's a mental condition. I mean, mm. it, it's, it's a really bizarre time that 21st century, why you understand this much, I mean, science, that's saying that men and women are different. You know, men cannot be a woman is, a, is, a, is a controversial. And for them, that's a human right for them to be recognized as a fully man, as, as a woman, or whatever they are feeling. So it's what scares me. I don't know, you studied China a lot. Words doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. Those countries, they diluted the meaning of everything. They, nobody understands what they're talking about. And the communication is extremely hard. And now I'm living through America, it's becoming like that. The words keep losing meanings. And there's so much confusion around it. And I think he's people really having a hard time to understand each other now. There's something very interesting because you basically talk about how America's elite, there's something wrong with America's elite class where you kind of went on this journey in the book, right? You get to meet so many people in these. Again, I'll use the Met Gala as an example. This is the place, if you're there, you know you are on top of the world, right? Yeah. In this, in this place. So you're going around and you're meeting people here. But it's almost like this language, the change in the language, as you've explained, right? It's like the some people know exactly what it means. Yeah. It's just a lot a lot of the rest of the people don't. So it's almost become a kind of coded language yeah. for, you know, I guess the intellectual elite or something. What do you think? I think that's what when I talk comparing North Korea to Korean America is about this, especially the political correctness. Mm. The ruling elite decides what is the truth, what is or a lot to speak about. Mm. North Korea, the Communist Party, the regime decides what people can talk about or not. If you disagree with the party's line, you get executed. In America currently, if you go against political correctness, you lose your dignity, your character is assassinated, and you lose your livelihood. Like during the pandemic, I was living through that and I was openly becoming a, like a advocate for Second Amendment and freedom of speech and US Constitution. And one of the mother in my son's playgroup would say, don't play with my son because I'm not safe. Mm. And I was thinking, this is like, of course, they are not executing my son because I'm a bigot. But the tactics that the elite is asking Americans to do is saying, if you see something, say something. It's not about someone kidnapping a child. This is saying that Columbia University, if somebody says something hateful, you got to like report on them. Mm. And exact same thing in the North Korean classrooms we're doing. You know, you need to report on your comrades, your classmates, if they say the wrong things. And the, you know, currently America, the mainstream, that elite, they decide what we can talk about, what we can challenge, you know, what we need to believe or not. And that, that group, once you go against them, that is we are being disloyal to this ruling elite. And you get, there's so much price to pay right now in America too. Let, let me give an example. Just mm -hmm. a few days ago, uh, the New York Times published an article, uh, uh, an op-ed, the mask mandates did nothing. Will any lessons be learned? Right. So, so this is something <laughs> that if you were following actual scientific papers and something, you would know that this was the case. So now it's, it's, it's very interesting, right? Because people have also said that these masks were used as a, almost like a talisman. It was like a symbol of your compliance or your acquiescence to this this kind of orthodoxy that you're describing. But, you know, all of a sudden, this, this well, I, I call it a shibboleth, you know, is gone. And because the well, New York Times says so, so what's going to happen? But there's, there's a lot of these people out there that were like kind of 
enforcing compliance, right? Yeah. I know if you if you have a child in the New York school system, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly. Right? I mean, yeah. it, that's very heartbreaking because my son was two years old when these lockdowns began. And of course, I couldn't afford not working. And everybody had to work. He had to go to daycare. They would demand him wearing a mask up to here eight hours a day in the daycare. They are letting strip clubs open next door. They're letting clubs open for adults to do whatever they do. And then they would let open the animal like dog parks in the park, but they would shut down the children's playgrounds this summer when there's a warm breeze and sunshine. And that stays like, oh, we need to stay safe. So I was thinking dogs have more rights than my son right now. Mm. And because he cannot speak for himself, he's two years old. If his teacher demand him putting a mask on, he has to do that, right? He cannot qualify to even go to daycare. So I think this is what I'm talking about. How many people were shown during that time? If you mentioned a single question about the mainstream orthodoxy that you would like marked as a conspiracy theorist. You're a danger to public health. And you lose your job, you lose your account, you get banned, you get censored. And we did to our own people in the name of public health, public good. And who we have hurt by the lockdown, we hurt our American people the most. Children got depressed. People got dying from drug overdose. Crime went up. Business got destroyed. And the name of this one thing the government decided they're going to protect people and they destroy so many lives. You know, it's so interesting because when you describe your life in both books, really the vast majority of the policy that was implemented by the Kim regimes, you know, was, I'll say crazy, mm -hmm. right? But it didn't make sense, Yeah. right? When you think about it far away, mm -hmm. okay, fine, right? But when you look at it here, a lot of the policy that we employed here in this country it didn't make sense. And it's just, you know, how do you, it's very hard to come to terms with that because there's a lot of people, even people I know, right, that, that kind of believe in some of that right. to this day. And I was reminded of the power of propaganda, for example, in North Korea and the things that you said you believed, mm -hmm. which were, you know, really unbelievable. I think that's like the regimes, North Korean regimes, their policies were just beyond evil, beyond anything that we've seen. I mean, they chose to starve its own population, right? They were choose to letting, die, letting them die from starvation, even though they had every resource to feed them. Until this day, Kim Jong-un used the same tactic to control the population. And currently in America, what scares me when, when people do not understand this, that nothing has been more evil and dangerous than big government has been to individuals. Mm. Nothing, even not the world wars ever killed this many people. So for Americans to somehow think that government is benevolent organization that is representing our rights, like they are the collection of collection of some stupid or very greedy or evil people come together fighting for their own interest. And maybe a few good ones in May there too. Mm. Yeah. You do, you're not sure. <laughs> okay. Maybe there is a uh -huh. few good ones, okay. but then they would be go away like our first grand, I mean, founding fathers like George Washington, he would walk away after he lead the country mm. and then he, he'd go away. So I think to me, they were like Joe Biden in the government business for 40 years. Like, dude, you should be ashamed. If he had actually dreamed to fix something in the government, he should have done that in the last four decades. Mm. So it's a career of politicians. So it's, it's, of course, it's, government is a necessary evil. We need them to keep us safe. We need to protect our, give up our, you know, power to our military and some public things that we need to run. But we need to keep them as limited as we can. And we always have to watch out for them. But the thing is, a lot of people just think that somehow government has the best interest for all of us. And as long as we just give them keep more power and let them keep grow, somehow they're going to bring a socialist paradise. Just exactly what North Korean regime did, what they brought. They literally, people don't understand this. When Kim, Kim Il-sung came to power, he promised the North Korean people that these two things. I'm going to get rid of inequality completely. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to be poor or like rich. We're going to be all equal. Second is I'm going to provide three meals of rice and misto. And then of course they free uh, 
education, free healthcare, and free housing, and no tax. And everybody thought, okay, for this, what can we do for you? And Kim Il-sung said, give us your private property. Give us your rights and freedom of speech. We gave them everything that we had to him, and in the hope that he would divide everything equally to all of us. What did he do? He took everything and gave nothing back to us. And they, he made us into slaves to the regime. So right now, there are so many Biden promises that give the students debt forgiveness. The same tactic that Kim Il-sung used to buy the votes, to become a dictator eventually. That somehow that we governments keep promising things should, should be free. That's a very dangerous ideology, like nothing is free in the world. You know, when something is free, like me crossing that river to China, this lady somehow helping me for free. What did she do? She sold me into sex slavery. Right. So me, us not questioning why something is free, I think that's very scary. Well, you know, they. I remember years ago someone telling me, you know, when you're getting Facebook, for example, for free, yeah. the reason is you're the product. Yeah, <laughs> <Damn. Right? laughs> you're so, the product, yep. <laughs> so, nothing, so nothing is really for free. No. Um, ever. It's, I, I want to touch very briefly on just to finish up this thing about the masks. Mm -hmm. So I'm very happy the New York Times published this op-ed. Too late. I mean, seriously, they should have done it a long time well, ago. Well, no, no. I so I agree with. Yeah. But so so I, you know, you're yeah. torn because on the one hand, many people who really trust the New York Times will understand a little more reality. On the other hand, it's almost like there's this sort of feeling like you're supposed to forget about what happened yeah. to your son and to countless children who have had you know developmental delays. Speech. I mean, it really. It makes me really angry to yeah. think about what happened to children mm -hmm. during this pandemic. I want to see the policy change mm -hmm. and I want people to believe that the ch policy change is right so it helps, but it kind of feels like we're just going to cruise right through the accountability about what was done. Yeah, it's still is we, we can understand, okay, maybe he, they accepting the facts. But what was not acceptable was these people who were doing fact-checking checkers on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, everywhere, on social media. They were the ones who didn't go to like Harvard University or medical school. They were actual scientists, people who actually went to medical school, were saying these things don't work. You know, we are doing completely wrong how we are managing this pandemic. And then now suddenly they're like, okay, just oops, we made a mistake, let's move on. And I think this can be a pattern if we let them go like this. Mm. There should be actual consequences of harming people. You know, if human rights matters, they actually harm so many people. And God, what are we gonna do? How many lives that were lost even during the pandemic of people losing their jobs and getting divorced, going through drug overdose? Like, what are we gonna do to those people? Mm -hmm. So. I don't know, this is the, the time like we need to s somehow show them that there's actual consequences of harming people mm -hmm. and they cannot ever do that to American people ever again. But I don't know if we are that strong to stand up, <laughs> you know. You mentioned these fact checkers, you know, mm -hmm. we had examples of people that like, you know, with, without even a degree, right, basically fact checking, you know, some of the top epidemiologists <laughs> in the world. Stanford and right? Harvard, I'm exactly, like, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, preposterous. This, of course, this was done, but what, what this really speaks to is this kind of cozy relationship between what you mentioned, right? The big government plus big tech plus big education, you know, all these kind of different structures, big business, right? Mainstream media. Mainstream media, big, I was thinking, you know, big pharma, but it, of course, big media, all of it kind of working together like sharing some of these code words that we've been discussing, right? But, it, but also it amounts to really a massive amount of power and the ability to shape our very perceptions. On one hand, it's censorship, but on the other hand, it's almost like you don't know what you didn't, what you missed, if you didn't know where to look. Right, exactly. Right? It's, it's, it's getting harder to find the truth, right? They, they keep bearing the truth. That's what they do, even in schools, even in universities, you cannot look for truth. If you do, you're a bigot. But you, so what about this, as I said, this, this relationship between all these kind of big structures in society? I mean, you were talking about big government, but this is bigger than big government. Yeah. 
it's, you know? It's some kind of unification of all these organizations have so much power and influence. They come together and somehow team up to thinking, now we are going to control the people in a way that we want them to. And I think that's a, but the thing is, it's a tactic. Any dictatorships, the first thing they go for is a media mm -hmm. and education. I mean, mm -hmm. they start brainwashing like the Mao's, Hitler's youth, right? North Korean's youth. Every country did that. It, when they go through this kind of a revolution, and I think this is what people didn't understand or now maybe starting to understand. This is a, our moment of cultural revolution in America. And it's a tactics are the same. The media is get compromised. Education system gets compromised. The propaganda is, is produced by the Hollywood. Even the entertainment industry cannot be just for fun anymore. Mm. And then the scientists cannot question the science. I mean, that's completely defeats the purpose of science, right? right? And I think that's why I feel like America went way along than I would like it to be. And I really think that we don't have a lot of time left there. Because mm. I mean, what is the institution left right now who is not uh, under a threat from this uh, unification of these all these institutions, mm -hmm. demanding that we only follow their facts, demanding we only follow their, their I guess commandments to us. On the one hand, you know, this is a kind of terrifying message that you're sending, right? On the other hand, you you also have this message like we're not there yet, guys, because there are these people that say, hey, it's. We're just like North Korea here. I, I keep talking about this tweet, but I haven't been able to find it. But someone wrote something to the tune of, you have the ability to change your society until the moment you don't. Right. And, but that's kind of how it is, because you don't know the moment. Mm -hmm. It's hard to tell when that moment comes, when suddenly all these freedoms that you had, which we still have, Mm -hmm. You know, you see, uh, prosperity, abundance, relatively speaking, compared to most people in the world, it's kind of, un it's actually unprecedented it, to some extent in the history of it's the world. It's a miracle, yeah. Still, yeah. right? But there's all these dark directions and you don't know when that's going to happen. Right. I think it's very hard to pinpoint in history, at what point did we choose to demise or like the American civilization falls apart? I think what I think, regardless how well we are doing or not, it's in education we need to teach people that politics matters. Mm. Just look at the example of North Korea and South Korea. They just have a political, different political system. One country became the poorest nation in the world, the most oppressed nation in human history. One country now is the 11th largest economy in the world. So politics obviously matter. It's like regardless of what we do, people in democracy, that we have obligation to participate in this democracy. That we need to understand how the governments are working, how the money is spent, and how, what the plans are, what the policies are. And now there's, this, like, there's demand that we're like, okay, if you care about politics too much, you are lunatic, or to young people at least. It's just young, for the young people, it's very hard for them to understand what they should care about in life. And I think it's among the young generation, maybe that's why there's a voting rate is so low in America. Mm. Right? It's somehow, they don't think that politics is the most important thing. And they think the most important thing is watching some Netflix and just following this kind of TikTok trend. But a lot of people have been what you would call black-pilled, mm. right? Which means, you know, they, they're thinking to themselves, well, what's the point? I, you know, I've tried, I've tried right to be here, involved. Yeah. Look at how big these systems, these, look at these big structures, right? They're all working together. Mm -hmm. There's never going to be account, any accountability. My family was hurt mm -hmm. and there's no recourse. And these people just keep getting away with it, right? There's a lot of people that have had this sort of experience and, and might be in this situation where they're like, kind of feel a bit hopeless, mm -hmm. right? Well, this is one reason I like talking to you a lot because you, I think you have seen some of the darkest things that humanity has to offer, but you didn't go that way, mm. right? Yeah. Even though there were tough moments. <laughs> right? Yeah, I think that's the thing when people say, oh, as an individual, I cannot make a difference. I mean, like, you're American. You're the freest individual in the human history. 
not just in the world right now. No humans ever been this prosperous and had this many rights and had this bigger voice that you've ever had. So yeah, there are people in North Korea who does not even know what it means to have a voice. Americans, I think, do certainly do. If a North Korean comes from North Korea, not speaking a word of English and as a sex slave come this far and can become who I am today, anybody in the world can make a difference. So that mind of perseverance mm. is also lacking. I think that's why so many people become pessimistic and nihilistic. Somehow the world is pointless. The fighting for truth, fighting for justice is somehow is a pointless game. It's so sad. Like there's so much to be grateful for, so much to be excited about, so much to f you know, make a difference. But then when somebody tried to make a difference, we would be using these like, tactics to tell them, oh, your vote doesn't matter, you know? So that this culture currently that we are having is so negative to young minds, especially. Mm. And it's horrifying. I look at the social media platforms and it's, it's really bad. And no wonder so many Americans have this anxiety and so overly medicated country. Right. <laughs> It's appalling, like I cannot believe it. None of my friends almost in New York cannot function without therapy. Mm. And a lot of them on this, a, some peers that help them with their anxiety. So you would think, right, if we achieve this much prosperity and freedom, we would be like dancing around and happy and all jumping around up and down. But that's not what, what we are doing. I think in the book you mentioned something like Self-pity is like is a bottomless pit or something yeah, like bottomless this. Well, yeah. Bottomless well. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing that I was just occurred to me as you were talking, because I, as you were talking, I was remembering for some reason. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Um, uh, you know, some relationships that I'm very grateful for in my life, and you know, gratitude can also be a sort of a well. Absolutely. And incredibly energizing one, yeah. I might add. Right. And you, yeah. I think you talk about this a bit. It's a habit. Like, right, like if you get up in the morning, you can complain about a million different things and if the list will never run out. But if you just decide to, I'm going to be just thankful today, well, I'm going to be grateful, the list is going to be never ever run out. And that was almost like basically Bible taught us. Like when my mom asked like one day how to be happy. And like, you know, when I got asked God to be happy, he asked to, me to learn gratitude. Mm. Happiness only comes when you're grateful. So Americans lost that gratitude. And I think in this culture, almost they demanding you to be a victim. They're asking you to be oppressed and miserable. Right. And this is like where people are asking me, so why are you so normal? Why are you so high functional? And like I couldn't, and when I was pregnant even, doctors constantly, every doctor's visit, and I, I have a pregnancy app that doctors ask me to pro, like download. Every day they were asking me, are you depressed? If you are, it's completely normal. The postpartum depression, baby blues are a completely normal thing to feel. You know, like ask your provider to how you feel every day. I'm like, now you're making me depressed because you keep asking me. So I was not even thinking about no. that, but every day I have to keep like, answering this right. questionnaire. So I think that's also a lot of signs here in America. They keep constantly asking, are you okay? Are you depressed? And to a pregnant woman, to nursing mother, like, and to everybody, like, mental health is important. Are you depressed? Are you depressed? And like, it's a weird culture. Like, you, somehow we are not celebrating the victorious life, mm -hmm. but we are celebrating the misery. Right, and it's almost like, you know, sort of fueling the self-obsession yeah. or something like that. I've been learning a bit about on social media, there's like, you know, whole sort of self-harm trends even yeah. and things like this, mm -hmm. like terrible. Or tick, terrible like things. they keep doing yeah. the tick and then just people start following it without any tick like problems. It just is a real thing. And I think that's the thing when I came to America, they were asking me to do a therapy and they said I'm having a PTSD. I did not even, that was a concept. I did not know that was something to complain about. <laughs> right? Somebody told me that it's an option to complain about if you want to do it. And I mean, it's okay, we can be a generous, gentle, sensitive society, but I think we're just overdoing it right now. And we stop telling people, you know, you are strong. 
we can persevere, like be resilient. And mm -hmm. instead of teaching resilience, we're asking them, um, teaching them how to be a victim and how to complain about literally everything and anything. And that's what I'm saying, like not having always a problem is a problem. They make you to create an injustice out of thin air. They make you create a problem out of nowhere at Columbia. Right, they, they literally, their problems, their oppressions are like, they have 10,000 different like, uh, pronouns and we cannot somehow catch up with their speed. And for them, that's the greatest injustice they've ever seen. And that is not injustice. I mean, mm. like, I've seen a lot of injustice, but that is not one of them. Right. You know, one thing that just struck me, um, all of this sort of pushing people to focus, to obsess over their issues, their problems, their mental health, mm -hmm. Um, you know, TikTok is a huge kind of conduit of this from yeah. what I've been learning. And, you know, as far as I understand, TikTok is actually effectively a weapon of the yeah. Chinese Communist Party, mm -hmm. right? So I keep thinking to myself, I want to see more of these types of studies done. But, you know, if you know people are vulnerable, mm -hmm. right, mentally and so forth, and you feed them things that accentuate that. I mean, you just crystallized for me even more so how powerful this tool can be in the hands of the Chinese regime. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a that's precise reason why I don't contribute any contents to TikTok. Mm. I don't want people to find any reason to come to that platform. And first of all, I know how evil Chinese regime is. But second of all, there's no study ever showing that people has feel more fulfilled in their life or they feel more encouraged in their life by doing TikTok. Mm. It's an endless a competition for attention and you need to do so many insane things to get that attention and be a narcissist. Somehow the world is all about you. And then the young people nowadays, their dream is becoming a social media influencers. Somehow that's a job. That's what they aspire to. It's not about they want to become a scientist and cure cancer. It's not about building a rocket and, I mean, advancing our technology or being a good teacher to, you know, children, like educating our children. It's not about that. It's all about me. I want to be famous. I want to get fame. But it is clearly, we know that any young girls go on Instagram or TikTok, they become more suicidal, they are very depressed, they are not functioning that well. It's almost a, if smoking was dangerous, right, we need to put that thing on the label, it's gonna kill you. <laughs> Showing that picture of like, you know, like almost like destroy the lung. Somehow, even though we clearly know this thing is so harmful, especially to children, that we are not doing that. And if the parents, a lot of parents maybe were not educated, they didn't go to university, they didn't have time to read the newspaper, then if they don't tell their children this and then give them iPad, they become the victims and consumers of this harmful, harmful contents. So it's, that's the thing, like, I'm not ever arguing that America is perfect. We have a lot to improve on. And especially these parts, I really think that we have a lot to improve on. There's all these stories, you know, there's the film, uh, the social, is it The Social Dilemma, I think yeah, it's called? You know, that shows us, right, mm -hmm. how these profiles are developed, how they feed the things that you maybe don't want fed, how the executives at these companies don't let their kids use them, yeah. <laughs> use those apps for, for obvious reasons. But we let, we put in the, this in the hands of a genocidal, like you said, evil regime, and let it kind of program to our children. One of the things that you wrote in the book, which I thought was, you know, it just made a lot of sense to me. You said that increased Chinese Communist Party influence around the world translates into an increase, I guess, in the North Korean reality around the world. But maybe explain what you mean here. Yeah, I think that people really not understand the danger of the CCP, right? The Chinese regime has been expanding not just to America, Africa, Middle East to Iran, I mean, to all these countries. And they started giving them scholarships, they started offering them to build some road and companies and factories. And then they make them indebted and they go there. So for example, in North Korea, they lent the minings, miners and towns for 200 years lease, 300 years lease. 
And do you really think it to 300 years later, North Korea have anything to ask them the country back, the part of that land back? No way, it's become the Chinese. Their agenda is really making the North Korean reality a norm in the world. Like right now, as long as America stands as it is, that defending democracy, that people still understand that the alternative way of life is possible. Right? For Chinese people, too, a lot of them want to come to America. They know that there's a superior system exists, but once the American system goes down, then what do we have left? China is left with all this influence and entire world is uh, under their like, power. So then what is going to be norm of our world is going to be the way of China is, the way of North Korea is. Then that is a truly a time that humanity will forever forget that this kind of life, this kind of system, was ever possible. And this is the book that I wrote in my first book, when, people, when you see the animal farm in the book. Right. When the young, young animals were born, they don't even know the life before the revolution. Like when I was born in North Korea, I did not even know that I was oppressed. I did not know that life could be different, because that's all I knew. And easily, with the few generations, that's possible. And with these new technologies mm -hmm. like TikTok and like, you know, all the surveillance and coercion technologies, for example, deployed in Xinjiang province, yeah. right, in, in, in China against the Uyghur people and not, not just there, but that's currently that technology is being honed mm -hmm. in kind of extreme ways. It allows that type of a coercive indoctrination reality to be distributed beyond a place like North Korea, which has always been just, you know, basically completely isolated from yeah. internet, whatever, every, you know, all, all sorts of the norms of other, a lot of the other countries in the world. Yeah, it's like, it, what baffles me right now mm -hmm. is that the Congress were voted to spend like $100 billion for defending Russia's democracy, right? Their autonomy. U Ukraine's. Yeah, Ukraine's, yeah, right, the right. war between Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. But they somehow do not get bothered by Chinese invasion. I mean, literally their spy balloons are floating around with our sky. And that is not a invasion. <laughs> I mean, this is how invasion starts before, you know, actually full military comes over. And then somehow the, this mainstream media is not telling us this is an actual threat. And China, they don't like democracy. And they've been doing this to our academia. They've been giving money to Harvard, Columbia, MIT, all the schools. So they cannot criticize China. And there's a story about, I wrote in my new book, actually, there was a producer in Hollywood who was trying to make a movie about my first book. Mm -hmm. And he sent me a script. I was reading a script. I could not believe it because it, there it says that when I got to China, I was went to the authority. They gave me refuge. That was my promised land. They protect me, <laughs> right? This is like this is the the centerpiece of your message, if I recall, right. is that there's this hundreds of thousands strong human trafficking slavery industry yeah. in China, mm -hmm. and this is what was in the script. Yeah, and then I called up the producer, like, "What are you talking about? Like, this is not what happened." And he's like, "This is the only way we can make a movie about North Korea in the current Hollywood." Mm, right. And that's when I understood, like. You know, how many messages had to be altered? The movies that we see right now, watch, come from Hollywood. How many messages had to be changed and lied to us so China would approve the money and the studios would contribute to China and get the money from China. So I think that the depth of this infiltration from China is so deep that I can't even fathom. And I don't think most of Americans really understand how deep that is the infiltration got into our system. And we have this huge urgency to help Ukraine, right, versus Russia. Yeah. And, you know, I absolutely sympathize with the Ukrainian people, and I think they're fighting heroically, right? But somehow we don't seem to have that same level of urgency here. Or even half level of urgency. Right. <laughs> it would be, it's, it would be appropriate. Like, is it the level between what we are doing to defend somebody else's democracy or their own autonomy, or defending our own autonomy and our own way of solving our country is getting infiltrated from other country. And the thing is, not only that, like, literally our children are learning that math is racist. Math is made up by white men. 
it's exactly the example that I was using in North Korea classroom. My teacher was saying, what's one plus one? I say two, like wrong. Because my dear leader discovered that when he was a child, if you add one drop of water to another drop of water, it becomes bigger one. It does not become two. That's how he proved the math was made up by white men. This is the same thing that our children are learning. They learn that somehow gender and sex is a social construct that made by white men to control the minority people. Our children are learning exact same propaganda nonsense in school. And then we are okay with that. And this is not someone waking up everybody from there like nighttime and need to sit down and they really need to think. This is not okay. Like where are we going as a civilization that we cannot understand that men and women are different? That math is real, science is real. Then I mean, this is another kind of religion. They were making fun of Christians to believe in God and Jesus Christ and miracles. They are creating non like unbelievable nonsense religion and asking us to believe that somehow men can get pregnant, they can breastfeed. Like I've been pregnant. Like if this is a real thing. So you cannot be pregnant. You know, if you're a biological male. That's the thing. I think is a perfect time for China to infiltrate because America is so divided and so lost and so lost perspective what's important in life. You know, one of the things that's been floated recently, and I have to ask about this, the idea of a national divorce, you know, the people who are thinking along the lines of what you just described, right? And then there's people that are thinking the more traditional kind of, you know, way based on, you know, I guess scientific reality and, and so forth. And so the idea is maybe, maybe it's time to, to have a national divorce. What's your reaction to that? To me, it's like there's easier way. Like these people, like I was writing about voting by your feet, that in capitalism, we have options to show our preferences. Like if you really care about climate change, you can go to Whole Foods, buy a product that they sell shampoo in, a, in a actually paper container, not a plastic. And because it's a biodegradable and very expensive product. But in capitalism, you can fight for everything. You can fight for little ducks, and you can go protesting from Canada goose. You can buy this product that doesn't work. It's your choice. And I think like that in America right now, because we are a capitalist free society, if people really do not like the system, they have right to immigrate to other countries who are socialists. They can go to Cuba, they can go to Venezuela, they can go to China, they can go to North Korea, or they can go to, I guess, I don't know, other countries, right? Well, but, but of course they're not going to. That's a, that's yeah, a problem. Like, right. That's a hypocrisy that I'm talking mm -hmm. about. Like, if they really truly think that this country deserves to be destroyed and dismantled because it's a racist, horrible country, then they should not be here. They should go and be in a better country that stands for better, like, you know, I think principles. And I think somehow we are. I think just this is a something comes from I don't know what it is that Americans are so guilty about. They they do not denounce evil, mm. and it's very dangerous. This ideology that somehow America is truly racist and inherently evil society, and those people we don't ask them to actually take action. That's why you believe then go different country, right? So I don't think that national divorce is making sense in any way. And then imagine that those people who actually go and start their socialist paradise, I know what they're going to become. They're going to suffer. And a lot of people, my grandma was one of those victims because they did not know better. You know, they really thought that inequality was the worst thing in life. Like somehow in America, people are telling me, we are so bad because there's homeless people. Like for me as a North Korean, what do you mean you have a right to now to work and be homeless? In North Korea, they're going to send you prison camp if you choose to become homeless. And they say, oh, we are so bad because we are billionaires. Like in North Korea, we, are, we don't have inequality, but we are all dying from starvation. Like the enemy is poverty, not inequality. But we are brainwashing everybody to believe that somehow inequality is the enemy, not the poverty. So I think it's just we still have a hope that a lot of people are misled. My Columbia classmates, I have nothing to against them. I think they were brainwashed too. So if all of us who know the truth, who, knows, who know what evil is, then you can use our voice to educate them, mm. all of them. And let's go like knock the door on the liberal stores and tell them and give them books and, and maybe home someday that this country will come back. 
or or have a me have media that that talks about these things. Like you. Know? <laughs> but no, and you know, w I really love this one term. That we have to finish shortly. Yeah. Um, but you have this one term in the book which I really liked, which is the warriors of light. Mm. Look, this is kind of what you're talking about right now, yeah. right? So just tell me about the warriors of light. Yeah, I think it's a individual's beautiful. Like it's, I really believe that we are unique. Even though this society tells that humans are disease, that is anti-human sentiment that liberals keep talking, the left talking about that somehow we are the problem on the earth. Without us, the world would be beautiful paradise, and then humans are disease. And no, like because of us, the animals have rights. We are so good that we give animals rights, the things they cannot even fight for, what rights are. That's how good humans are. That's how good our heart can be. So I think we all have that warriors in us with that beautiful light that we can carry if we recognize it and we can get you know, in touch with ourselves. So if we stop looking at social media and read more books and I don't know, find your community, if you are not going to church, you may create your community, stay connected to your family, look at each other, and really getting to go back to read um, your books. There's so many great Western minds that wrote John Stuart Mill, The Liberty. I mean, these books, Bastia, The Law. I mean, these books still moves my heart when I read them, and somebody, nobody reads them. Well, this is you, you. I think you said this. Lock yourself somewhere in in somewhere with the classics and nothing yeah, else, exactly. and it'll change your life. I think you, there's a lot to be said about that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, there's a reason why we got enlightenment out of that. There's a reason why we progressed and we discovered democracy out of it. There's a no system, no civilization ever thought that individuals deserve the rights like we do now, and that we deserve equal votes, and gave us this much prosperity and rights. For those people who do feel demoralized right now, right, and you know, are like, sure, Yanmi, this is all very interesting, but nothing I'm gonna do is gonna make a difference. What's your, what's your message for them? To me, saving the world doesn't mean you be a Spider-Man superhero. For me, if you take care of yourself and you don't become a burden to another person or to a system, that's in a way you are saving the world. We have so many problems currently because a lot of people want to become criminals. They want to harm others. You know, they cannot take care of themselves. And if you learn how to take care of yourself, physically, mentally, then you can start taking care of your family. And once that is in order, then you can maybe talk, taking care of your community. Then maybe bigger things, but it only starts within you. And maybe all you can handle is just yourself, that's fine. And I think that's what I teach my son. Like, you do, we don't need to be these virtuous beings who are left to keep talking about somehow we need to save everybody and make everybody giving equality of outcomes. All that that takes is just taking care of yourself and don't be a burden to somebody else. And that can be a novel cause. Beyond Me Park, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, I'm honored. <laughs> Thank you all for joining Yanmi Park and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kelleck. 